Well, welcome again, Lakeshore. It is such a joy to have you with us today. Smyrna Campus, we're so glad you're with us today. Anybody that's connecting with us online, we're glad you've connected that way as well. We are in a series called God Revealed, and each week we're looking at different attributes of God because I'm convinced that, that all of us, even if we've been in church our whole lives sometimes, can have some confusion about who God really is, what God is really like, because so many people have so many different opinions about God. So what we've tried to do in this series is let God reveal himself to us. Instead of us trying to dictate who God is, we let God tell us who he really is. And so far in this series, we've examined his holiness and his power, his wisdom, his wrath, his faithfulness. And today, we're going to examine his providence. Now, providence is probably not a word you use a whole lot unless you're talking about the capital of Rhode Island. Um, and that's not what we're talking about here. This, we're not talking about the capital of Rhode Island. We're talking about God's providence. I, I looked it up in the dictionary just to see how the dictionary defined providence, and here's what it said. The protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power. They used it in a sentence this way. They found their trust in divine providence to be a source of comfort. Then it had another line, providence, God or nature as providing protective or spiritual care, and had this uh, phrase, I live out my life as providence decrees. And then one more little sub-definition was timely preparation for future eventualities. It was considered a duty to encourage providence. When it comes to the church world, uh, and the world of theology, there are really two extremes that have been promoted when it comes to God's providence. One extreme comes and is rooted in what is often been called Calvinism. You may know a little bit about John Calvin and some of the good work he did in the early years of the church. But, but Calvinism uh, basically has as its root the idea that God controls everything uh, to the extreme, even predetermining who can be saved and who can't be saved predetermining who is saved already, who's not saved, and you can't do anything to change it. It's all set in advance by God. That's pretty much the root of Calvinism. But then, in oftentimes, we, when we uh, go against something, we go a little too far the other way, right? Given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess it up. So the other extreme is this idea, I think it was Bette Midler from a movie that sang this song from a distance, right? It's that God created everything and, and set it in motion and then left. And he's just kind of watching now from a distance. And he's not really personally involved in the day-to-day -day stuff of life. Now, the problem is neither of those extremes is what the Scripture teaches at all. And so I want us to take some time today to really delve into the Word of God to see what God's providence really is and how it really works as God reveals himself to us through his word. Uh, the passage that was read earlier uh, talks about, in Colossians, this idea that, that God, through his son Jesus, who is the image of God, the firstborn over all creation, it says in Colossians 1.15, that that everything was created by him and for him, and, and he's been involved intricately in all of this that exists today. And so I want to break that down a little bit into several different areas where we see God's providence at work through, through different uh, interactions that he has and has had historically with his creation. 
The first thing I want us to look at is direct intervention, okay? God's direct intervention on life here on planet Earth. Let's go back to verses 15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and He adds something else for Him. So He's not just talking about the initial creation. What's He talking about? Everything that has happened since then has been created by God and his son Jesus was a part of that, and not only was he part of creating it, it was created for him. So everything that's still going on today is for him by God's design. It doesn't mean he likes everything that happens. It doesn't mean that, you know, he's, he's happy about bad stuff. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying all of this world and everything in it and everything that happens, God's will in all of this is that it points us to him and he is revealed in it, and people are drawn to him through it. This is how God divinely intervenes to draw us to him. So let's look at some examples in Scripture of how God has done this, not just in the initial creation, but since then, how God has intervened. Sometimes we use the term miracles. I think miracles can either be something we don't believe in, or they can be something we overuse the word, and we call everything a miracle, right? My son cleaned up his room. Well, that might be a miracle, but... But it might not be. So uh, let's, let's talk about some, some obvious miracles where God stepped in and intervened in a powerful and miraculous way. One of them is found uh, in Exodus 14. It's one of the most famous ones. Uh, Moses has led the Israelites to leave Egypt and slavery there, right? God worked through him through the plagues, and the final plague was the death of the firstborn. And, and Pharaoh said, all right, get out of here, and here's supplies and everything you need. Get out of my country. I don't want you here anymore. But then after they left, Pharaoh began to think, oh, no, I may have made a mistake here. You see, here's why. His whole economy was based on that slave labor. And if he let that go, it was going to crush his economy. He wasn't going to look like a good leader. So he sent his army after them and tried to bring them back. Well, they're headed to the land of promise. God told them he was going to take them to, but here they end up at this place where they're at the, at the banks of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is coming from the other side. On that side is the Red Sea, and they've got nowhere to go. And they think, oh, no, God... I don't know what's going on here. Moses has led us to this place only to die out here. We were better off back. You remember the grumbling? We were better off as slaves back in Egypt than dying out here in this deserted place. And what did God do? He stepped in and he intervened in a powerful and miraculous way. He told Moses to hold up the staff over the sea. He caused a mighty wind to come up, and it pushed the waters back and divided the sea. They crossed over on dry land. Then when they got safely across, Pharaoh's army pursued them into the sea, and he had Moses hold up the staff again and brought the waters back over Pharaoh's army and destroyed the army that was pursuing them. He miraculously saved them by intervening in that powerful way. Well, let's look at verse 31. Here's the response after God did that, Exodus 14, 31. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. 
See, what I want you to catch here is that when God does intervene in ways like this, there's a purpose for it. He wasn't doing this just to help the Israelites have safety. He was doing this to change their hearts, to draw them into a greater life of faith in the God who would provide for them and take care of them. See, God's divine intervention always has that purpose behind it where he wants people to be drawn into understanding that we can trust him, we can count on him to take care of his people. In his way, in his timing, God can and will do that. And that's just one example of it. Another example, uh, this is one I really like because this is not so hard to believe anymore if you listen to politicians, but a donkey actually spoke. So, uh, <laughs> In Numbers 22, <laughs> I'll get emails on that. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. In Numbers 22, uh, Balaam, has uh, been invited to go kind of over to the enemy camp of the people that oppose God and, and Balaam's God. And he wasn't sure if he should go or not. And uh, finally, uh, uh, he gets the message that maybe he should go, hear what they have to say. And so he heads out riding on his donkey. But as he's riding along on the donkey, the donkey stops and tries to go a different direction. And Balaam is upset with the donkey, so he whips the donkey, tries to get the donkey to go on. But what he didn't know is the donkey saw the angel of the Lord out in front of them ready to do battle. And the donkey was actually protecting Balaam. But Balaam didn't see the angel and didn't know it. So then he tries to turn around and get him going again, and he starts again, and there's the angel again. So the donkey stops again, and he, he whips him again, trying to get him to go, and he's mad at the donkey. Happens a third time, and he's all upset with the donkey. And then in Numbers 22 and verse 31, it says, The Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Now, that third time, here's what happened. The donkey talked to Balaam. God gave the donkey a voice. And the donkey said, why are you, you beating me like this? Have I ever been bad to you before? Have I ever not take, you know, done what I was supposed to do in, in your service? And he said, no. And he said, well, uh, you know, he explained what was going on. And finally, his eyes were opened and he saw the angel. Now, in reality, a donkey talking to you is a miracle, right? It's divine intervention. We know that. And I know people have a struggle believing, sometimes believing these miracles, but, but I want you to follow me here because the evidence is overwhelming that God intervenes in miraculous ways, and he's done it all throughout history. So if he could do it one time, if he could do it another time, couldn't he still do it? Couldn't he have done it any other time? Absolutely. He's God. So he spoke through the donkey, and he, but, but notice the intent was for Balaam to bow down low before God. He was bringing Balaam to where he needed to be in his relationship with God through this divine intervention. That's the purpose behind always God's divine intervention. Another example, uh, one of my favorites, I've, I've preached on it many times, Elijah, the prophet of God, has prayed and it hasn't rained on the land for three and a half years. There's a severe drought and, and conditions are getting terrible. And, and so, 
the rulers of the pagan people where they lived uh, wanted to to execute uh, Elijah because they felt like it was his fault that everything was bad. So Elijah called for this contest. The people there in the land where they were living uh, worshipped uh, the god Baal, the Baal gods, and 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 they had prophets of Baal. So he he had this contest between the him as the prophet of God and the prophets of Baal, and they met on Mount Carmel for this showdown, for this contest. He let the prophets of Baal go first, and he said, you build an altar, and you prepare for the, the meat for the sacrifice, and then you call on your God, your Baal gods, to, to light a fire and burn up the sacrifice. And so the, the Baal, the prophets of Baal, started their process that morning, and they're, they're, they built the altar, and they put the meat on it, and they got the wood ready, and they started dancing and chanting and calling on Baal to, to bring down the fire. You know, I can just picture them, Baal, Baal, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. <laughs> they got these songs and these things that they're doing trying to get Baal to respond, and there's no response. For hours they go, and there's no response from Baal. And then Elijah quietly walks up, rebuilds the altar, puts the meat on it, gets the wood ready, and he just kneels down and prays and asks God to consume the sacrifice. And it's not elaborate, it's not spectacular, but what happened next was fire was sent. Now, he, he poured water on the sacrifice, all right, dramatic effect. He poured water on the meat. He filled up the trench around the altar and everything with water. It was all soaked, and then he prayed for God to send fire. And the fire came, and it was so sudden and so violent and so intense that it not only burned up the meat on the altar, it burned up the altar. Even the stones on the altar were burned down to dust, and even the water in the trench around it was completely gone, dried out. And you know what the response was? 1 Kings 18, verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You see, when God divinely intervenes, what's the ultimate purpose for it? To bring people to, to recognize who He is, His power and His position, and so that they will bow down to Him and worship Him. That's the purpose for God's intervention. Another one, uh, I love this story. How many of you know the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They went with Daniel into the foreign land where they worshiped a foreign god, and, and they were uh, trying to be pressured into bowing down to the idols of King Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to do that. Nebuchadnezzar ends up putting them into this fiery furnace. He heated it up much hotter than they ever had before, and even the soldiers that threw them into the furnace uh, were burned up themselves. It was so hot, and, and they, uh, the king was determined to destroy these young men for not bowing down to his idol. But he looked in there, and there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth image that he had not put in there in that fiery furnace. And they weren't burning up. And so he stopped everything, and he told them to come out. And when they came out, it says not only were they not burned, but even their clothes were not burned, and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them when they came out of the furnace. Now, here's the cool thing. 
after all that happened, you know what Nebuchadnezzar's response was? Look at Daniel 3, 28 and 29. He said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied their king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship the God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. That's pretty extreme. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. How did God use this divine intervention? To draw even a pagan king to recognize that he was God. You see, God has done this over and over again. In the New Testament, you see the same thing. In the life and the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 7, it records for us that Jesus is traveling with his disciples and he's entering to the city of Nain. And there, there's a lady coming out with an entourage and they're carrying a casket, a coffin, with her son in the coffin, her one and only son. And she was a widow, so that's, that was her hope. That was the only one she had to take care of her. And she was weeping and torn up by the loss of her son. And Jesus, it says, was moved by her and her tears and her grief. And what did he do? He raised her son back to life in front of those witnesses. And look in verse 16 and 17. It says, those who saw it there, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. The same thing happened later with the raising of his friend Lazarus, where after seeing that in 11, John eleven forty five, it says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. God intervenes in a miraculous divine way many times, but there's a purpose behind it. It's not to put on a show. It's not just so, oh, we'll be amazed that some great thing happened. The intent behind it always is that people are drawn to him, and their faith in him is strengthened by witnessing his power and his love and his provision and his care for his people. So God has many times, even still today, we'll talk about some of this, how he intervenes even today sometimes in miraculous ways. But there's another area where God uh, has some, in some ways revealed himself and his providence to us. It's in uh, his natural law that he has established. Notice verse 17 again in Colossians that we just read. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is some truth to the fact that God set some things in order in the way he created things that just continue to function the way he designed them to function. He, he put them in order that way on purpose. It's for our good. It's for our blessing. It's also a testimony to him and his provision for us. Uh, back in Psalm 19, the psalmist recognized it. Beginning in verse 1, he said this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The psalmist is saying, look at the orderly creation of God, how God has established things to work where you can count on it. You can plan on it because it's so reliable. 
You see, that's God revealing himself to be the faithful God that he is because he orchestrated all of this. And why did he do it? For us to have life and blessing and provision. That's the faithful God. That's in God's providence. He wanted us to be taken care of while we live here on this earth. And so he set things in order. Of all the planets in our solar system, only one could sustain human life. It's perfectly designed for that. It's earth as God designed it to be. And so God has revealed his care and his providence, even in how he created things and set things in order. In Galatians 6 and verse 7, there's another law that God established that is at work and continues to be at work, and it never changes. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I hear people all the time say, you can't tell. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want to do. You're absolutely right, but you're not free from the consequences that go with your choices. Those things are set, and you're not an exception to those things. If you choose to do these things, certain consequences, it's like God put in place what we call today in science the law of gravity. Is the law of gravity the same for everybody? Big people, little people, black people, white people, Latino people, does the law of gravity affect everybody? Does it have the same application to everybody? Rich people, poor people? Yeah, it affects everybody the same. Any one of us can step off of a cliff, and you know what's going to happen? We're going to fall because gravity is at work for everybody all the time. That's part of the created order of things. You can't just eliminate gravity because you don't believe in it. People have gotten, you know, crazy out of their minds sometimes and said, I think I can fly, and they jump off, and what happens to them? I don't care how much they believe they can fly, what happens to them? They still fall every time. You see, that's a set created order of things that's part of the providence of God. And part of that law is a man reaps what he sows may not be the way you think it's going to happen. may not be in the timing you think it's going to happen. Sometimes you think somebody's gotten away with something bad and nothing bad happened to them. Don't be deceived. Sooner or later, this law will apply to that person. A man reaps what he sows. That's a law that God established that's at work in the world. It applies to everyone. Well, another area where, where we see God's providence is in his interaction with people uh, in the world. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, speaking of Jesus, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So God is still uh, at work through his son, Jesus, who is now the head of the church. So he's still present. He hasn't left us. He hasn't gone off to just wait and see and come back later and check on us. He's still there as the head of the church working and, and doing what, what he is doing as God. And and so he's interacting still, even today, with his created order of things. I love how we can see how God has done that all throughout history. Back in Genesis 41, we have a story of Joseph. Joseph's story is amazing. You can go back and read. A lot of you know the song, Coat of Many Colors. It's about how Joseph got this coat as a gift and how his brothers were jealous of it. And they sold him into slavery, and every bad thing you could imagine happened to Joseph. It just He was treated unfairly. He ended up trying to do the right thing but being thrown in prison anyway while he was in prison. You know what happened? There were a couple of people that served the king in that land where he had been sold into slavery who were in prison. And they had this dream. 
And Joseph interpreted the dream for them, and he did it rightly. God gave him the ability to interpret the dream. And these, two, these people were blessed by it, and one of them was able to be reinstated back into the king's uh, work and serving the king. And later on, when the king started having some bad dreams, he said, can anybody, his own, his own servants couldn't interpret it for him. So he said, is there anybody in the kingdom that can interpret this dream for me? And this guy had told Joseph in prison, I won't forget you. I won't forget what you did for me. But he had forgotten until the king said, I need somebody who can interpret my dream for me. And so he said, I, there's somebody in prison that can do this for you. So he sent for Joseph. Joseph came and interpreted the dream properly. And the king was so impressed that he put Joseph in charge of part of his work and kingdom. And then he continued to do well, and he got more and more responsibility until he was second in charge of the whole kingdom. That's how God used this and blessed Joseph. But you know what happened? The dream indicated there was going to be a famine, so Joseph came up with a plan that the king let him execute. The plan was to put supplies back to get ready for the famine that was coming. And you know what happened? His own family, who had sold him into slavery, his own brothers, had to travel to where Joseph was. They didn't know he was there in charge of this stuff to get help for their family and their people because they were going to starve to death in the famine. You know what Joseph was able to do? Save his family and his people and make them a great people again as God provided through all of this. You see, God in his providence took something really bad. I want you to get this. Nobody would like being treated the way Joseph was treated. Nobody would like to be falsely accused. Nobody would like to be unfairly thrown into prison. But what did God in his providence do with all of that? He set everything up so that Joseph could save his people in a desperate time. That's what God can do. That's the providence of God. It doesn't mean God made any of that happen. It means he knew it was going to happen and he had a plan for it before it ever happened to use it for his glory. And here's the response. Look in Genesis 41, again with verse 39. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. God used it to honor his people and draw people to honor him. You see, when God intervenes in the lives of people, it's still that same purpose to bring glory and honor to him. Another example in the New Testament, this, I love this one. This is where you read about in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, this Ethiopian had traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He, for, uh, somehow along the way, he had become a believer in the God of the Jews, and he traveled there to worship that God in the temple, and he was traveling back to his home in Ethiopia, and he's reading Scripture, right? And the Spirit prompted Philip, to run alongside the chariot that the Ethiopian was riding in. Now, think about that. If you felt prompted to run alongside a car in the parking lot, would you question that a little bit? Yeah, I would too. Maybe at the Titans game, right? You're all leaving. You just saw a terrible game or maybe a good one. Who knows? <laughs> Not trying to be a prophet here. Whatever happens, happens, right? So, 
After the game, you feel like God's telling you to speak to this person in the parking lot and start a conversation with them. Well, I'm convinced God still does that. And he prompted Philip to go alongside this chariot and start a conversation with this Ethiopian. And in the conversation, he finds out what scripture he's reading. And he began to teach him what God was saying in that scripture leading to Jesus Christ and how Jesus came to be the Savior, the Messiah. And then it picks up in Acts 8.36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And they went down to the water and Philip baptized this eunuch into Christ. And he went back to Ethiopia, taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a land that had not received it yet. Most people believe this was the the first time that anybody of a darker skin color than the Jews had ever been brought to Jesus yet in the New Testament. And so now the gospel is being taken to that people and culture where he had never gone there before. Oh, just coincidence. I don't think so. Do you really think that that was just coincidence that he happened to be there at that time and came alongside him and started that conversation with him? You see, God's providence was at work. He knew the eunuch was going to be there then. He knew the gospel needed to go to Ethiopia, and he knew that this person would take it there if he was brought to Christ, and he knew Philip could be the guy who could teach him this. And make that change in his life. The providence of God at work. Could Philip have been disobedient? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But he obeyed. And because he obeyed, God used it. What was the purpose? For his glory and to draw people to him. God used it in a powerful way. Now, friends, I want to tell you a couple of things that happened to me just recently that talk about the providence of God in my life. Just uh, a week ago, Sue Ann and I were at a conference, the Spire Conference. It's uh, a conference for leaders in our churches all over the country to come together and learn from each other and grow and be taught. And I'm always wanting to learn. I'm a student all the time. So I wanted to be there and, and learn and grow. Well, on the way back, we stopped by Jacksonville, Florida, where Sue Ann has some family and her uncle is, is in hospice care there. They don't expect him to live very much longer. So we went by there to help there and check on him and pray with him and spend some time there. And then we leave Jacksonville to head back, and we were going to stop along the way, and we had this thing planned and where we were going to stop and what we are going to do. But you're going to be shocked by this. I made a wrong turn. <laughs> I know that surprises you, okay? And I got on the, an expressway going the wrong direction, but uh, I put it in the GPS after realizing I'd gone the wrong way, and it told me I knew a way I could go that way too, so we went a different route back home. And I realized on this route we were going to go by a town where I had my very first preaching ministry on a part-time basis while I was in college. It's near Wrightsville, Georgia, which is down in south middle Georgia there. And we were going to go right by the exit that we would go to to go to that church. I said to Sue Ann, you know, why don't we just stop by and see that old building that I first preached at? You know, it's out in the country, out in a rural area, middle of nowhere, very small church. So she said, yeah, that would be fun. And, and we were talking in the car. What if nobody's there? Well, we'll still see the building. We could take a picture or whatever. That would be great. But if somebody is there, Sue Ann said, that would just be divine providence. She didn't know I was preaching on this, by the way, this Sunday. She just said that would be because we're always talking about divine appointments, God appointments that God makes for us. So we stopped by there, and I see a truck out front, 
uh, where, with supplies in the back where somebody's obviously doing some work on the building. So we go uh, into the building and yell. I didn't want to scare whoever was in there. And I yelled in through the door and a guy comes out. He was a little bit suspicious of me and Sue Ann uh, just showing up there in the door. And I told him who we were and that we wanted to stop by and to see. And we saw that they were adding on some classrooms and he was out there working. And we got to talking about how that was the first church I ever preached at. I went down on the weekends my first year at college and, and got some preaching experience. And I said, I just want to thank this church for, for being so gracious to a young guy who didn't know what he was doing, didn't have a clue, and you let me preach week after week and encouraged me and supported me. And, and, and it led to God using me in some other ways, and I'm so thankful for it. You know what the guy said? I almost didn't come here today. I've been so discouraged that this little church just, even building these classrooms and doing this stuff, that we just we weren't really making a difference. We hadn't really impacted the world very much. I said, let me tell you something. I've been blessed, and I'm not saying this to brag on me. I'm saying this to brag on you and this church. I've been able to baptize over 1,000 people, just me personally. And I've been able to, through the work of our ministry at our church, we have sent out over 30 people to do ministry in other parts of the world during the time that I've been there. And lives are being changed through that, and I never would have been able to do that without you guys being gracious enough to me to let me start learning how to preach at this church. He said, man, I needed to know that. He said, I almost didn't come here today. My wife's been sick. And he said these words, this had to be a divine appointment. This was the providence of God that you stopped today. You can't convince me that was just coincidence. God is still at work in the lives of his people interacting and orchestrating and using even my bad directional decision to get me where I needed to be that day. But let me tell you one, even to me, just more amazing than that. Last year for Christmas, we had received in the mail an anonymous gift before Christmas, a little while before that, and it was a nativity scene. And and quite honestly, I got to tell you, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was all that good-looking, and I didn't really want to use it. And Sue Ann and I, as it got time to decorate, we do a little bit of decorating outside, not a lot, and it was made where we could use it outdoors. I said, well, I'll just set it up on the front porch. We'll just use it out there. So I had Mary and Joseph and a little baby Jesus in the manger. I set up a little table out there. But an angel came with it, and I hung up the angel above that on our front window there in the front of our house. We still didn't know who sent this thing to us, had no idea where it came from. Well, later on, we got the message that the person who had sent this is the owner of a professional uh, sports team in Chicago, and she just wanted to bless some pastors, and we have pastor friends in Chicago who put our name on the list, and she sent this to us as the group. She sent one to a lot of people in this group that she had given the names to. It came from a professional sports team owner in Chicago. We didn't know that at the time. We thought, well, that's pretty cool. But several months later, here's what happened. Sue Ann went out to the mailbox, and our neighbor across the street came out to see her. She said, I just got to tell you, we knew this neighbor had lost her husband a few months before Christmas. We had ministered to her, reached out to her during that time. But she came over to Sue Ann, and she says, I want to thank you for the angel. And Sue Ann said, what? This is months after Christmas. She said, I want to thank you for putting that angel up on your porch. She says, I was at my lowest point this Christmas. 
having just lost my husband. But when I looked out my front window and saw that angel over there, it was like God was just saying, it's going to be okay. I haven't left you. I'm with you. She said, that angel saved me this Christmas. Something I wouldn't have even thought I needed to put up. Something I didn't know where it came from. And I thought, this thing looks kind of gaudy to me. I don't think I want to use it this Christmas. But God had orchestrated that for our neighbor across the street to help her through the hardest time of her life. I'm amazed at how God still interacts with his people today. And in his providence, he moves us and puts us where we need to be and opens up opportunities where he wants us to have those opportunities and closes doors where we need those doors to be closed. God is at work in the lives of his people today. Don't ever doubt how God can use you to make an impact, even in the little things that you don't think matter at all. If you just walk in obedience to God, God can impact the world through you. The final thing he does for us in that is the plan of salvation. Look at verses 19 to 23 here. God was pleased, speaking of Jesus, to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things for the things on earth or in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He said, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And he says, hold on to that faith. Don't let go of it. Sometimes we forget how God predetermined in his infinite foreknowledge our need for a Savior. He knew in advance that you were going to live on this earth at this time, that you were going to sin, and you were going to need a Savior. And the Scripture is clear that he decided in advance in his providence to provide for you exactly what you needed through his son Jesus. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, it says, In him, speaking of Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. People argue about predestination all the time. I don't care how much you want to argue about that. It doesn't make any difference to me what position you have on predestination. All of it really comes back to this. God predetermined that you could be saved through his son Jesus. So he set, he set that up for you in advance so that you can know him as your Lord and your Savior. In Genesis 3, verse 15, you remember Eve ate the fruit, then Adam ate the fruit. I know we want to blame Eve, but Adam was just as guilty, all right? And God wasn't surprised by it. He already had a plan set up. But remember, there's this law at work, what you sow, you're going to reap. And so that law was at work already. And he talks about how the curse was going to be on the earth. And in verse 15 of Genesis 3, he says this to the woman. I will put enmity between you, and, and to, says it to the serpent and the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, most scholars believe, and I agree, that what he's pointing to there is sending Jesus to crush Satan. Satan was going to hurt him. That's what the cross is all about. But Jesus was going to win and crush Satan. But you know what? That wasn't God saying, oh, no, what am I going to do now? 
Eve disobeyed and brought sin into the world. So how am I going to fix this? That wasn't a last-minute decision, and we know it for a fact. In Revelation 13, the last part of verse 8, it says this about Jesus. He's the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. Did you catch that? Before God even created human beings, you know what he already knew? That we were going to need a Savior. And you know what he knew that was going to entail? He already knew it was going to mean his son, Jesus, was going to be beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross. And here's the amazing thing. He created us anyway. Isn't that amazing? That's a love beyond any love you could imagine. That he would go ahead and create us knowing that it was going to take that. And you know what he did? He created us with the plan already in place to send Jesus here to pay that price for your sin and for mine. The providence of God has brought us to this place today where that provision for sin is what God planned all along to offer you and me right here, right now, so that we could be saved through Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know, we know that there's no other explanation for Jesus coming here to do what he did other than you and your providence pre-planned and ordained that he would come and pay that price for us. That love, Father, is amazing. I pray that if there's anybody today hearing this message who doesn't already understand the depth of your love for them, that today they would begin to grasp just how much they mean to you, that you would plan for their salvation before they ever existed, and that you would plan to do it at great cost in the life of your son. I pray that today that that decision you made for us would not go unappreciated and unresponded to by those who need to come and accept your most gracious, loving offer of salvation through the gift of your son. May they today come and accept that gift that you have provided at such cost. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.